I had just a wonderful Thanksgiving uh, week, and I hope that you did. And one of the greatest parts of my Thanksgiving week was that meal that we had here last Sunday. And so thank you so much for all who helped to do that. And if we can, just thank the hospitality uh, team. That was so good. I absolutely love Thanksgiving and, you know, it's hard not to enjoy it. You eat a lot and watch football. So like, it was just, it was just fun. But what I like more than Thanksgiving day is the day after Thanksgiving. Now, some of you may be in the same boat here, or you may say, Colby, you're crazy. But what I enjoy about the day after Thanksgiving is that's when, at least traditionally, for my family, we begin to prepare for Christmas. And so, you know, for the Mache house, we, we go and we, we get us a tree. We go to the exotic location of Lowe's, okay? And so we go and we pick out that noble that's going to go in our house. Usually we name our tree. We have yet to name our tree. Catherine, let's, let's do that uh, later today. But, but we enjoy, we put up the tree, we decorate the house. This year we even had uh, our, our three girls, we, we, we slept in the living room. You know, we made pallets and slept in the living room, uh, you know, under the, the light of the Christmas tree. It's just a really good day for our family. We, we begin to prepare for Christmas. And I know there are many people who you may have started that day. Some of you may have started like October, uh, you know, first. I don't know like who the earliest, you know, person is as far as preparing for Christmas. But, but for us, it was the day after. But you understand what I mean. And, and here's what's so interesting about the Christmas season. Christmas is the only uh, Christian holy day and secular holiday that are celebrated. And so celebrated together. And so what we have are all of these traditions that come with the Christmas season. And so, you know, you know what they are, but we've got stuff like, uh, you know, beautiful decorations, time spent with family and friends, gifts that are given to those whom we love. Uh, we, we have, you know, fantastic food. We have great parties. You know, it's a wonderful time of the year. And even in the secular society, the Christmas season, though it may come with a little stress and debt for some, and don't do that, uh, but, but though it often does come with that, mixed in, listen, it's just a lot of good for our society. It's a, it's a good time of year, and in many ways, a happy time of year. Uh, what we want to do is this, is you know, answer the question, well, why should we, as a church, why should we celebrate Advent? You know, why don't we just... Say Christmas, you know, why don't we, why don't we do that? Why don't we got to get all cute and call it Advent? Well, well, here's the reason why we celebrate Advent and why it's good for us. There are so many things about the Christmas holidays, but what Advent does for us is Advent is here to specifically prepare our, not homes, but prepare our hearts, okay? The Advent season is when we look back And then we look forward. We look back to the coming of Christ. We look to the first advent. The word advent is a Latin word that means coming or arrival. We look back at the arrival of Christ into this world, the coming of Christ into this world. And then we look forward to his coming again. And so when we talk about advent, what we're talking about is a season of preparation. Not just preparing our houses but preparing our hearts. 
this Advent season, we're going to be looking in the book of Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah is filled with prophecy of the coming of Christ and filled with prophecy of the second coming of Christ. And, and so if we can, as we study, we want to put our, uh, we want to have our minds where the minds of those first hearers would have been as they were longing for hope that would come for the first advent. And then we want to have our hearts today beat faster for Christ and his second coming. So if you will pray with me before we open up the text today, father, we ask that you would use your word today to cause our hearts to long for you. I pray that we would rest in you, that we would rely on you in a greater way today because of what we hear. Pray that you'd prepare our hearts by your grace. Lord, that we might celebrate, we might rejoice, and we might long for Christ. We might adore Christ. I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word as we study it today, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, at the Moshe house right now, we're preparing for a lot. Some of you may have uh, heard that we are expecting another baby. Haven't said that from the pulpit yet, but we're expecting another child, and this child is a little boy. So we got three, that's right. Yeah. Uh, some of you know this, but we, we have uh, Lucas, our son, who is in heaven. We have Lucy, who is six, Annie Ruth, who is five, Hazel, who is two, and Lewis, who is uh, on the way, due March 7th. And, uh, you know, and so for us, preparation is something we're having to consider not just for Christmas, you know, not just for the arrival of family and friends, not just for gifts that we need to purchase to provide. We're not just preparing for those things. We're also preparing in our minds right now for, uh, you know, a place to make room in our home for our, our little son. And, and I couldn't help but as we were just beginning to, you know, think about what we could do, you know, purchasing, you know, should we purchase bunk beds, a day bed? Should we create another room, create another space? I, I couldn't help but think as we were doing that uh, of preparing him room. Not, not just Lewis, but this Advent season, preparing room for our Lord. Uh, the son. The, the one that came and the one who will come again. That's what this is all about. What I want to do today is this, is give you four realities that come when we understand the Advent season. The, the first is this, and, and I hope this will help, is that the Advent season helps us to feel the darkness to fill the darkness. You see here in Isaiah, a couple of things. I, I, want, I want to point you to not just chapter nine, but actually the end of chapter eight. And, and so we're going to read, look with me from verse uh, 20 and we'll, we'll go down through chapter nine, verse 
Uh, or, or specifically look at chapter 9, verse 2. Verse 20 of chapter 8 in Isaiah, in Isaiah says this, To the teaching and to the testimony of this word. That's not what it says at all. To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Verse 21. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak uh, against their king and their God, and they will turn their faces upward. Look at verse 22. It says, and they will look to the earth. They will look around. There are people that they will, they will look around for hope. They'll look around. And what does it say? But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. That, that's the setting that chapter 9 comes in. Deep darkness. And, and the scene goes like this. If you looked, and I, I started in verse 20. If you look up one verse there in 19, you've got a people who are inquiring of mediums, of seers. They're, they're going to people of the earth and they're saying, will you look and give us hope? Will you tell us how we can find hope in this darkness and this distress? And of course, Isaiah says, why would you ask of the medians, why, mediums? Why don't you ask of God? But what it says is this, is after looking, after seeking out, uh, you know, from all of the answers from the earth, the earth looks back at the people and says, there's no hope, there's only gloom. But look with me at verse 2 of chapter 9. We'll look at verse 1 in just a little bit. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness. And that phrase, deep darkness, could be said like this, death's shadow. People who walked in a land of death's shadow, on them a light has shone. Now, when we come to think or to talk about Christmas, we, we usually want to discuss things that are happy. We want to talk about times of joy and celebration. We want to think back on the good times. Look forward to good times that are still to come. But Christmas exposes something for us that we must grasp in order that we might rejoice in Christ. And that is the darkness. That darkness exists and Christmas exposes it. Now, when I was talking about our family, I imagine that there are some in the room who the discussion of another child in the Mouche house may have hit actually a bitter chord with you. Because for you, this season of the year, it, it, it doesn't feel happy. It doesn't feel like a time of preparing another room in the house for a child. This time of year reminds you of childlessness. For some of you, this, this time of year, you're, you're experiencing pain, not, not happiness. You've lost those that you loved. You are in deep pain and agony. 
And right now, darkness seems to actually, as the song says, hide his face. Christmas exposes to us the reality of darkness. And I want to talk to you a little bit about darkness. We, we have darkness that's around us. And all of us know this. We know that there are darkness around us. We, we look on the news. We look uh, just in front of our face. We, some of you are like, I'm looking next to me. You know what I mean? We, we, look, we look around us and we see darkness. We know that there is evil and suffering, that there's rape and murder, hate, greed, that there is disease. And the very front runner of darkness is what? Death. Some of you this Christmas season, you, you sit in, as it were, a cloud of gloom because of the reality of death that you have experienced near you or around you. We not only have darkness around us, but we have darkness inside us. You know this all too well. You, you know what your heart is really like. You know the evil in you. I know the evil in me. The, the hate, the selfish desires, the sin. We'll give a scriptural word for it. The flesh in us. We're very aware of it. And listen, Christmas exposes it. I might could say it this way, and if you want to write it down, it would go something like this. Christmas shows us that we're so bad that Christ had to be born. He had to come into the world, into a world of darkness. But church, as we see this, remember too that Christmas shows us that you're so loved, that we're so loved that Christ was born into this world to save us from it. See, we're reminded of the darkness around us, the darkness inside us. What about our circumstances? I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but the darkness behind us, the darkness that we're currently experiencing or the darkness that is still to come, the darkness that lies ahead. You probably called it as I was sharing about my family, if, if you don't know us. But listen, De December the 9th is my little son's birthday. And that was a Christmas season that I would rather not experience again. You know, that, that was the year that, that my firstborn, a little boy as well, Lucas, that, that he was stillborn. And so I, I understand. Christmas time and, and the ability to grasp hold of the realities of, of joy and excitement and celebration can be very clouded with, with darkness, especially the darkness of death. Many of you are struggling this Christmas, and my, my prayer for you today is that the suffering that you're in would serve to point you to look, it would point you to look for the dawn. It would point you to look for light. Namely, it would point you to embrace and look to Jesus Christ. It, isn't it so sad there in chapter 8? I read it and I, I started in the wrong place. But So they asked to inquire of mediums. Verse 20 says, but, but why would you not inquire of your God to the teaching and to the testimony? He's saying, why, why wouldn't you look to God's promised word? 
Why wouldn't you go to God? Why wouldn't you look there? And it says this in in, uh, chapter eight, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. Apart from God's promises, we have no dawn. The sun is not rising. And listen, the Christian hope is this, is that there is darkness. God is well aware of it. And he has a hope that is set aside for us that it's like the rising of the sun. In fact, Jesus himself is called the sunrise. That the sun is rising up and there will be a day and we will point to it every week when there will be no need of the actual physical sun because the very son of God will be with us. I don't know if you've ever noticed it. You, maybe you're reading Genesis 1 and 2 and, and you're reading Genesis 1 and you go, hey, this is funny. There was light before there was the sun. Some people have said, man, the, you know, the writer of the scriptures, you know, they, were, they were foolish. They, they couldn't even remember to put the sun first. Now, the writer's not foolish. The writer is God. And when he created, he created light, yes, before the sun. And guess what? When Jesus returns, there will also be no need for the physical sun because Christ will be with us. At Christmas time, and specifically the Advent season, we need to fill the darkness. Allow these moments of helplessness to remind us, yes, that things are evil. Yes, the world is bad. Yes, we are sinful and marred. Yes, our sin is destructive. But we need to be pointed to that Christ was born, that a light has dawned. The true Christmas story is one that does not ignore suffering and darkness. But instead, the story setting begins in the very midst of it. We need to fill the darkness. Secondly, embrace the unexpected. Fill the darkness and embrace the unexpected. So how does this gloom end? How does hope come? The scripture tells us in the most unexpected of places, in the most unexpected of ways. If you're reading the text, you know, we listened to it as it was read earlier, and it may not seem important to us, but I want to point you to it right now. Look at verse 1 of chapter 9. We have just heard in verse 22 of chapter 8 that, that there is distress and darkness and the gloom of anguish. Chapter 9, verse 1 says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. So this is the picture of hope. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations or Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, now, what this should mean for you is this. If you are a uh, listener here in this day, if this is being prophesied to you and, and you are an Israelite, you would say, what? Uh, there's going to be hope come from there? 
In fact, let's make it more clear. If you were born in the first century and you heard that there is hope and hope has come from this region of the world, that there's going to be no gloom that's going to, that's going to come, that hope is going to arise from the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, you, you would have laughed. See, this was the, the northern part of the promised land. This was the very first part of the promised land that was overtaken. This is the part that was destroyed first, conquered first. And yet here in the scriptures, there's a prophecy that hope will come and it will first arise in this diminished land. See, if you were an Israelite, you would say, okay, if hope is gonna come, if, if something is gonna happen, if rescue is gonna take place, if, if someone, a religious figure is going to rise, surely they will rise from Jerusalem. But no, it says that hope is gonna come from little Podunkville, from the most unlikely of places. Now, I've told you this before, but, but in Scripture, when we talk about you know, people looking down upon people, they look down upon the north. The people in the south, they thought were smart. The people in the north, they thought you know, were, were not smart. And so they look down upon them, uh, you know, where we know how that goes in our world. Everybody thinks that you know, we're goofy because we're from Alabama and we, we're the smart ones, okay? But, uh, but, but here in the Scriptures, what he's saying is it's from the north that this hope is going to come from an unexpected place. You'll remember in John when this area is brought up and I'll I'll read it for you right now. John 1, it says the verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found his buddy, who did he find? Nathanael, and he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets, like we're reading right now, Isaiah, wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything, what? Good come out of Nazareth. Philip said to him, come and see, come and see. Can anything good come from there? An unexpected place. Matthew 4, we actually see the fulfillment of this text as Jesus Christ himself begins his ministry here. Matthew 4, verse 12, it says, Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has shone or has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, this hope would come and Advent tells us to to embrace hope coming from unexpected places. 
Salvation came from an unexpected place. And listen, salvation would come from an unexpected person. It's really hard to imagine because we've heard this, these verses read so many times. I want you to imagine that you've never heard them before. And all of this hope, this hope of human oppression ending, and, and we hear this is how it will happen. Verse 6, for to us a child is born. To us, a son is given. That, that we hear that all of this hope is found in a child. This hope is found in a baby. Uh, the most unexpected point that we must embrace this Christmas is this, is that this baby was God. This baby was divine. We see a description of this baby that leads us to know that he's God. We, we see, yes, he's wonderful counselor, but we see mighty God. And th- this is not God-like. This is not God-ish. It's just mighty God. The almighty God of the universe was born. It says he's everlasting father. This isn't Isaiah being confused on the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay, This is him saying, this is the source of all eternal life, of everything that's everlasting. He is going to be the source. In fact, the Bible tells us he's the source of everything that was made. This child that would be born. This baby was God. This baby was divine. In Isaiah 7, we see uh, the prophecy that, that you're well aware of. Isaiah 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Lee read the, the, the scripture of this, uh, Matthew 1, verse 18 to 25, where, where we see... The, the birth of, uh, of the child or the promise of the birth of the child. And it says that she will, verse 21, that, that she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Okay, that's why we're here. Uh, verse 23, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew tells us, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. He called his name Jesus. So what, what does this mean for us today? Well, I, We could probably give a million things that this means. I'm going to give you a couple, okay? What does this mean that God was born? It means, church, that we can't just learn from him. We can't just learn from him. He can't just be an example. We can't just like Jesus. He can't just be part of a nativity set. He cannot just be another part of our decorations. Christmas is about God being born. God born to save. God born to redeem. Born to reconcile and to restore. Born to rescue. 
Christmas is about the mighty God, the almighty God, the everlasting source of all things, that he was born. And he was born to save his people from their sins. We can't just like him. You can't just like him. He's to be worshiped. We should be in awe of him. This baby was God. Secondly, we're told that this baby was born, which leads us to the obvious conclusion. You may say, well, we get that, Colby. But, but that this baby who is God was also human. That God became human. Not just that the baby was God, but that God became a human. What does this mean for us? Uh, It it means a lot of things. But once again, we're not going to go into all the things it means. Here's a couple. One, it means this, is that he understands you. This Advent season, be reminded, God understands you. I'm, I'm a big fan by the way, of Away in the Manger. We just sung it. I do have one little nitpicky thing I want to point out. It says that the cattle are lowing. Somebody could sing it for me. The baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, what? No crying he makes. Do you think Jesus didn't cry when he was born? Of course he cried. He was needy. He needed milk. Like he needed to be cared for and dressed. Like he was a baby. Babies have to be cared for. Listen, listen, we don't have to. Jesus, he understands you. Jesus Christ, not only was he crying in that that little uh, stable, he, he cried like all of his ministry. Like like Jesus was known as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. When we find Jesus, he's weeping. Like like Jesus understands. He understands you. And Jesus cares for you. He cares for you. The Advent season should point us to this, that God understands you and God cares for you. Listen, all that darkness that we talked about earlier, darkness around us, darkness in us, uh, behind us, you know, in the midst of us, before us, all of this darkness, we may have question after question after question about our sorrows and our grief. But one question that we should not struggle with is this, is does God care for me? Christmas tells us that no matter if you have all of these questions about your suffering, you can at least know this, is that God loves you. How can I say that? Because he was born. Because he came. Because he was born in our darkness. He became our darkness. See, not only was he born, the incarnation, not only do we celebrate that, but how, how could we possibly say, how could we proclaim that God loves us, that he's for us, that he cares for us? Because of this, the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus became our darkness and was crushed. Jesus became our sin and he was crushed. Jesus, in the very shadow of death, he died so that what? 
death would be no more. Jesus died, he was buried. Three days later, he arose from the grave victorious over sin, darkness, and death. Listen, God understands you and God cares for you. We know that as we look to the birth and as we look to the cross. His resurrection proves that this hope is available to us. How do we get this kind of hope in our lives? Well, our third point that Advent points us to is, is, is this, is we receive it. We receive the gospel of grace. Probably my favorite picture that's found here in Isaiah 9 is actually this part. It's found in verses 4 and 5 and 6. Uh, in here, God will break, and there's a promise, and you've got to see it. God breaks all human oppression. I, I want you to see how he describes it. It's a glorious announcement. In fact, before I even read that, write this down. The gospel is not good advice. The gospel's good news. It's not good advice for you. It's good news proclaimed over you. Look at this. You can read it and miss it. Please, please don't today. Verse 4. We're coming in all this hope and all this joy, all this gladness. Verse 4 says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. He's saying that you were oppressed, but now you're free. There's a battle that has taken place. And keep reading verse five. It says, for every boot of tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. He's saying this. He's saying there's been a battle. The battle is won, but it won't be you fighting. You won't need anything, any of the garments for war. You won't need them. You won't need the boots. You won't need the armor. You won't need them. You can throw them in a fire to be burned. They will not be necessary for you or for your people. For the battle is being fought outside of you. That's the picture here. And you say, but how? How is it going to be fought? And it says, for to us, a child is born and to us, a son is given. Oh, I love this. We're reminded that the gospel is not good advice for people like you and me. You want hope? Here's what you need to do. You know, be better. You know, live a better life. Stop doing dumb things and do good things. I mean, like that, that, that's not what the Bible does. We would fail miserably at that. We do all the time. That's not what the Bible is. It's not good advice. The Bible brings us good news. Good news that the battle has been fought. There's a battle at hand and it will be defeated, not by us, but by another, by this child that would be born, by Jesus Christ himself. God has defeated the enemy. The victory comes to us, not through our efforts, but through grace. It's like a gift, the the greatest of all gifts that you could ever open up. The gift of grace that comes to us through faith. A child is born 
And to us, a son is earned. No. To us, a son is given. This is to be received by grace. Verse 4, I mean, uh, point 4, last point for the day. Advent leads us to flourish. And yes, I said flourish. In expectant waiting. Some of you, you know your mind, you know your heart, and you say, Kobe, I don't think I can flourish in anything right now. Yes, you can. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is giving your mortal body life. (laughs) It's the same uh, power that's raising your heart to life. The very spirit of our God. Listen, you can flourish. And in Christ Jesus, whether you realize it or not, you are flourishing. He loves you. He cares for you. There's hope for you. The good news of Christmas is not something that was left behind in Bethlehem just to be looked back and remembered. But the good news of Christmas is that the one born in a manger has risen victoriously over darkness and death. And listen, church, he will come again to make all things new. No matter what darkness you're in today, understand this, is that one day darkness will end. One day it will end. And God's promised word tells us this. It's not something that we we just hope will happen. This is hope that we can rest in. In a sense, you could say this, listen, if, if God fulfilled his word by Christ coming, he will fulfill his word and him coming again. He will do everything that he has said he will do. He will make all things new. He will make everything right. Isaiah 9 points us to Christ's birth. And we see that. This light that would come and bring joy. But also, Isaiah 9 points us and desires our heart to flourish in what is still to come. In a reign and in a kingdom that will be from this time forth and forevermore. Listen, this Advent season, as you prepare your house and and you put up lights and you do all the things, as you prepare for company to come over and people to feed, and as you prepare for the, the money that you need to buy the gifts that have been requested, as you prepare all of these things, allow all of this to be shaped by who Christ is, what he's done, and what he is still to do. Allow the Advent season to make sense of the good found in the Christmas season. Allow, as you look back to the birth of Christ and as you look forward to his coming coming again, allow this to shape your hearts, to uh, grab hold of not just hope, but hope of God ending all suffering and bringing about newness in all of the world. So if you're hurting today, allow this to be a time that you come to Christ, believing that he understands you, that he cares for you, and he has suffered with you. Celebrate Christ today. Let's stand as...
we respond through singing as we pray. Father, we, we love you. We thank you for your word.